Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. So Grace, last week I began the teaching by declaring there are six days till Christmas. This week I begin by declaring that there are 364 days till Christmas. I just heard that's good news. So you, ha- you have time to prepare, and if you just said that, you're not going to be prepared. <laughs> but that's something that we knew last week, six days. 364 days is something that we know today. We can state with confidence of when Christmas 2022 will come and when we will again celebrate the coming of God to earth in the baby Jesus. And about a month before then, we'll probably be starting Advent readings and we'll uh, walk through that time of of looking forward to his coming in preparation. But just as was was read and as what was said is that Advent means coming. And Advent is a celebration and a preparation for the coming of Jesus Christ to earth as a baby. And Advent is a celebration and a preparation for the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. So I gave you numbers of days till Christmas, but we're referring to again the celebration of his birth. When we talk about the second advent, Jesus coming back to earth again to receive his church, how many days till that happens? There are some that will declare that it is, will be in this amount of time, in this set day, we're going to talk about that in just a little while. But the reality is that we really don't know when his second coming will happen. But are we focusing on that second coming? We had the preparation for the celebration of his first coming. Are we preparing for his soon return? In fact, many times the word eminent is spoken about his second coming. And that means it's, it's, it's soon. It could happen at any moment. In fact, before I finish this sentence. Okay, he didn't come back then, but he could have. Okay? I mean, that's, that's eminent. It means literally immediate. There's an immediacy. There's a certainty. There's, there, there's this anticipation at any moment. So that is what we're going to be looking at today. Is his second coming and our preparation and our living in light of the return of Christ for his church. Our foundational text is gonna be in Titus chapter two and this is gonna be like a springboard text, uh, which means I'm taking a phrase from that text and then we're gonna build on that phrase. Uh, but there's, there are a number of verses that speaks very specifically about Jesus coming back. And in Titus chapter two, beginning with verse 11, we're told this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions 
and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. We read that while we wait for the blessed hope, and that blessed hope is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So Titus describes this, this blessed, or in, this, in Titus it describes this blessed hope, it's the return of Jesus Christ. And in light of that, he's saying, it's, it's, we're being told that in light of this, we are to live lives that are in anticipation. Our living should reflect, needs to reflect, the goodness of God, the grace of God pour out, out on us and the reality that his coming could be at any moment. So the word rapture is often spoken of in regards to the second coming of Christ. And you can search scripture and rapture, the word rapture is not there, but the concept is very clearly there. So rapture comes from a Latin word that, that means being caught up or caught away. Being caught up or caught away. And that's what, uh, again, the rapture of the church, that's what it's speaking of. And it, it, it's that very thing, it's being lifted out. Now, for those that would like a more modern analogy, um, those that are friends of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, how many are there of us? Okay, quite a few. So you, um, you may be familiar with this, and for those that aren't and think you're gonna enter into this world, this is about, it's a spoiler that I'm about ready to say, okay, so if you haven't gone this far, just start humming and covering your ears because I don't want to ruin it for you. Um, but in, this, uh, in these movies, there's this moment where a certain being named Thanos gains possession of six infinity stones, and at the snap of his finger, half of all living beings disappear. Now, his goal in, in doing this, what he proclaims, is that he's doing this for the good of all existence to deal with the overpopulation issues and limited resources and things like that. But, but in, this, in the movie, we see it, that the snap of his finger and half of all living creatures are gone. Now, for cinematic effect, okay, for those that have seen it, you can picture numerous people right now just starting to dissolve and change from solid beings into ash and then floating away and disappearing. Uh, there's one scene in particular so I, I'm really, it's a lot of spoilers here, so really, if you haven't, I'm okay if you cover yours right now. Uh, but there's one scene in particular where Hawkeye is with his family, with his wife and three kids. And that one looks a little bit different because he's there and they're just having a picnic at the house. And he turns around, he's talking to his daughter. She's just shot a bullseye, you know. I mean, it's his daughter, so Hawkeye's daughter will shoot a bullseye. But, but she, she hits the center of the target and he, and, and he goes over and he turns around and he's talking and he turns around and his entire family is gone. Now that to me is probably one of the most accurate depictions of what rapture will be like. That in a moment, gone. So let's look at scripture and see how scripture describes it. We look at 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verses 16 to 18. We're told this, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. There's that word. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So this is a description that we have in, in, in the Bible of what is going to happen with Jesus' return. Instantaneously, people will disappear. So, you know, as a kid, you know, I grew up hearing about the rapture. And, you know, so we've had conversations. Well, what that's, what's that going to look like? Like, is there just going to be a pile of clothes here? You know, and if that's the case, can you imagine what that's going to look like? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, to ease your mind, it's saying instantly, instantly. Now, when we transition from this earth, we will have a new body. Okay, and there's a lot of us that are really excited about that. And, and it's a new and improved version, let me tell you that. Um, it's one that will not grow older, never be sick. But it's, it says again that it's instantaneous. And, and what does that mean? Um, will there be a bunch of clothes laying around? It's very possible, I don't know that. We don't, we don't know exactly again what that moment's gonna look like, but here's, here's the reality is that, that you know, we used to picture and we actually saw movies and things that, that, that depicted this. And, and that means though that if somebody's driving a car and they're raptured, they're raptured, not the car. I mean, think about this, the reality of this. An airplane pilot, yes, I hope they're saved, but. <laughs> I, I mean, you're, you're in a restaurant and you know, the waitress is handing food and she's raptured. What does that look like? Well, hopefully you won't see it. Okay? But here's the reality is that there is a world who will see this happen. And there is a world that the next moment is still living. And when the, the church of Jesus Christ, and it's not people who attend Grace Fellowship or attend Christian, it's those who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That is the church. It's not based upon where you do or don't attend or what, you, what label you may put on, except for this, is that if you are a son and a daughter of God, that you've accepted the work of Jesus Christ, that you've applied his death and resurrection to your own life and you're living in relationship with him, you're part of the church and you will be gone. So we think the pandemic has rocked the world, seriously. And we think about how this world has changed in the past year and a half because of a pandemic. That's child's play. Think about this. That's child's play in comparison to what will be left after the rapture. In this moment, this rapture could occur at any time. So today, I'm only addressing the rapture of the church. When we look at eschatology and the study of, of end times, the end of all things and, and prophecies, there are so many things that we could dive into. I'm focusing today on the rapture. And even when I say the second coming of Christ, I wanna clarify because when we look at prophecy of the Bible, the rapture, as, as we've just read, is the church being called up, caught, caught up to meet Jesus in the air. But there is a second coming of Christ to the earth as we, we've sung about it, as the lion, as the victor, as the one who will defeat all evil, 
There is a second coming of that. But there are a lot of pieces, again, to end times prophecy. And the thing is, is that, that again, we're only going to focus on this, but it's important that we read it, and we're not going to figure it all out. And believe me, if we spent the next month constantly studying all the prophecy concerning the end times, we would not come into agreement as far as what the end times are going to look like. You know, people have, have studied and they've written and they've studied more and they've talked with others and prayed and come up with ideas as far as what the end times are going to like, the order of events and, and things like that. And, and the problem is that there have been so many different perspectives that people have anchored on and have embraced that's caused division within the body of Christ. You know, the reality is if, uh, for those that have familiarity with, with end times, prophecies, you know, we could do a poll and say, okay, how many pe- people are, are pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? You know, so um, for those that, that, that may seem confusing, there, there's a period of seven years of tribulation and some people interpret scriptures as saying that the church is gonna be gone before that seven years starts. And others say midway, the church is gonna be raptured. And others say the church is gonna go through the tribulation and then be raptured at the end. You know, the reality is, is that you can find scriptures that are gonna support all kinds of different perspectives. But here's the thing. If we're locking into our perspective of prophecy and not locking into our pursuit of God, we're missing it. And I'm not saying that to throw stones at anybody because we need to study scripture. We wanna know what it says. But the reality is that people miss the prophecy so strongly that 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Son of God, was standing right before them. It had been prophesied and he fulfilled between, as Ben said, between two and 400 prophecies. He was standing in front of them and they missed him. Because there are things prophecies speak to the future, but there are also things that we don't understand until they happen. And when you look at scripture, there's prophecies about his first coming and the second coming that that are right together. And and often people again reject the Messiah because they say, well, he didn't fulfill his prophecy. Well, not yet, right? Because there are prophecies that refer to the first coming and to a second coming. So, So, Again, I don't want to, I'm not saying don't study it. I'm not saying that, that you shouldn't have an idea. All I'm saying is that don't let your idea of the end times throw you off instead of drawing you closer. Because prophecy is, prophecy is meant to prepare us, to help us to be ready. And the thing that's most important is that are my eyes fixed on Jesus? Am I ready whenever it is? And you know, the reality for me, okay, I was raised with the pre-trib idea, so I'm gone before it gets real bad. But the reality is, if I'm wrong on that, and I could be, God's gonna give me the grace to live through. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, so, I mean, let's focus on him. Let's allow him to be the priority and allow the prophecies to draw us closer to him, okay? So we just spoke, celebrated God with us. Emmanuel, come to earth. When we look at the rapture, get ready for this, it's us with God. It's him taking us to be with him forever and ever and ever. So as we went through the Advent readings, the four candles that are around the Christ candle, we went through in preparation again for the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ to this earth. We went through and we looked at hope. We looked at preparation. We looked at peace and we looked at love. And what we're going to do is go down through those four candles again and and, and what we talked about in preparation for the birth of Jesus Christ, we're gonna walk through those same four things in preparation and anticipation of Jesus' second coming. So the first is hope. The first is hope. 
It's that expectancy. It's that longing. It's that anticipation. We know again at Jesus' first coming, it was at just the right time that God entered the world as a baby. And there was hope, there was anticipation. And as we look at the second coming of Christ, hope has to be foundational. That there's this anticipation, expectation, a longing. Now there were a lot of kids that hoped for a lot of things yesterday. Okay, there were a lot of adults that hoped for a lot of things yesterday. And for many, those hopes were fulfilled. And when hope is fulfilled, there's no need for hope, right? Because hope is a longing for something that has not yet happened or been received yet. But there were, there were many whose hopes were fulfilled and many whose hopes were not fulfilled. And there's some that keep hoping, yeah, I didn't get it for Christmas, but my birthday's coming. Next Christmas, maybe. Hope, it's so critical. If you're Ralphie in a Christmas story, your hope is for a Red Ryder BB gun. Rifle, right? You're gonna shoot your eye out. Hope doesn't always bring a good thing. There's a story of a young girl who hoped for a pony. And it wasn't just for Christmas. She wanted a pony so bad. I mean, literally, it's pictures of ponies everywhere and she's always talking about ponies and she loves them and always asking mom and dad, can I have a pony, can I have a pony, can I have a pony? And mom and dad, the logical arguments are the same, same ones that I heard as a kid. They cost too much. We don't have a place for it. And you got to take care of it. For all those reasons and many more, mom and dad keep saying no. Well, this little girl didn't give up. Christmas is coming. I want a pony. I want a pony. I want a pony. So dad, being the wise man that he is, figures I'm going to put an end to this irrational hope thing. So after all the gifts were opened, Dad brings in this last gift, and he thinks this is gonna end this story. Now, this is terrible, okay? I'm sure that he was at his wit's end. His wisdom was not the wisest thing, but he had gone out with a box, and he had gotten some horse manure and put it in the box and then wrapped it. Yeah, okay, that's why he brought it in last. That makes sense, right? <laughs> this isn't a true story, I hope, but... <laughs> So he gives his daughter this gift and she opens the gift and sees there's horse manure in a box. And he's expecting her to be dejected and to be sad and, and instead she's elated. She's filled with joy. And dad's like, what in the world is going on? She said, well, if there's manure here, there's gotta be a horse somewhere. And she goes running, she goes running out the door in hope, in hope that she'll find a pony. Okay, now I really debate about this. Like, should we talk about horse manure in church? But, but, you know, I thought about it. And, you know, you go through Scripture, there's a lot worse things that Scripture says, okay? So, um, but, but the idea is that, that this hope, like we can have a hope that nothing's gonna dash. And, and God wants us to have this hope that, that no matter what we see externally, no matter what is going on around us, we embrace this hope that is secure. And there is this hope. We can have a confidence. God's word is accurate. It is true. He has proved himself faithful over and over again. And God does not lie. And when he says he's coming back, we can and should put our hope in his return. Don't let situations throw you off. 
But when we talk about hoping for the return of Christ, I wanna ask you, is this something you long for? Is it something you hope for? My confession is that there are times that I'm hoping that it doesn't happen yet. That's a natural thing. Just gonna be honest. Hot, right, Phil? <laughs> honest, open, and transparent. There are times that I am not longing for his return. And I remember, I won't tell you how old my mom is, but she's older than me, and when she was a teenager, I mean, I remember her telling me these stories when she was a teenager, like at, at youth camp and stuff, you know, her and her girlfriends would be talking, it's like, you know, they were so sure the Lord was gonna be coming like the next moment, that it's like, I guess I'm never gonna get to be married, I guess I'm never gonna have kids, you know? And, and there was this natural part that's, well, I'm hoping it's delayed. I wanna live life. And that's understandable. We're not condemning that. But we wanna see clearly of where we're at so we can be drawn closer to where he would have us to live. You know, and the reality is my mom had the opportunity to be married. She had the opportunity to have kids and she's gotten to live life. And I am confident that she is still hoping for the return of Christ. But that hope, it's that, it's that constant longing, it's that constant desiring, it's that constant an anticipation. First Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this in verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. God wants us to have hope for life beyond this life. And this passage in, in Romans chapter five, I wanna just touch on this quickly, but it's been one of my favorite passages that I keep coming back to over and over in my life because it has hope so central and so foundational. And Paul says this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now here's where it gets more challenging. Listen to this carefully. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Other translations say that hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So often, we can want hope, but do we want to follow the pathway to hope? And this pathway to, to hope that Paul shares is, again, glorying in sufferings because sufferings produce perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And we can want the hope, but do we want the process? Because we're often hoping, I want situations to change. I want this to change. I, I put all my eggs in this basket, basket, change the situation, that's my hope. And God is saying, allow yourself to be changed. Whether the situation changes or not, will I allow the power of God to transform my life? That process is through suffering. It's through perseverance, it's through the development of character. And then we have a hope that does not disappoint us that we hold on to tightly. The first century church had this right. They were persecuted. Many were killed for their faith. They were hated by the, the Romans because they would not acknowledge the Roman emperor as God. 
So what did the early church do? Their morale was lifted because of the hope of the coming of Jesus Christ. In that first century church, the word Maranatha was used, and it's an Aramaic word that means the Lord is coming, or come, Lord, come, Maranatha. And for this persecuted church, their hope was secure, and they would greet one another with Maranatha, Maranatha. They were constantly saying, saying, Lord, come. They were lifted because of their hope. Every day, we should be living with this expectation with this hope, with this longing. I believe that God's calling us to live Maranatha lives. So secondly, so that's hope. Secondly, we go to preparation. Second Peter chapter three, and we're gonna have a couple passages that, that we're reading from Second uh, Peter chapter three, but I would encourage you to just uh, go this afternoon and just read through the chapter. It's, it's, it doesn't take long, but it is so packed uh, with um, truths that really surround what we're talking about. But Second Peter chapter three, beginning with verse, verse 10, says this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And this is later in the, the, the process of end times, according to prophecy. But since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Big picture, this is what's gonna happen. How then shall we live? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. In light of the Lord's return, our preparation is that we are to live holy and godly lives. That we are to live holy means to be set apart, to be different, God is holy. And we are to be called, we are called to be holy even as God is holy. As pastors and elders, Pastor Jeff and, and Pastor Ben and myself and the elders, we, we know that God is calling us as a body of grace to grow in holiness. And as we're moving into this new year, again, we've, we've, we're talking a lot and we're gonna continue bringing this before you because this is a path that God is calling us to as a body of believers to grow in holiness. And it's through confessional leadership and through the everyday discipleship and through living in a place where we can, can bring our struggles out in a place that's founded in the word of God, the spirit of God, with the people of God, and where there's the testimony of God, that, that we need to be transformed more and more into the likeness of God. And in light of his returning, this needs to be priority. In light of his eminent return, Jesus coming back again, our, the growing in holiness needs to be priority. Now the thing is like holiness, when we say that, that can, can mean a lot of things to, to us because we may be familiar with a, an expression, been part of an expression or aware of, of holiness where holiness meant like a whole bunch of do's and don'ts. In fact, there's a whole lot more don'ts than do's, okay? And like for me, you know, this verse says a thief. I remember growing up, 1972, so I was born before then, um, but 1972, a movie called A Thief in the Night. I don't know how many may have seen it, and, um, but, but it, it literally depicted what was happening with the rapture. And man, as a kid, I was scared. You know, and then they didn't stop with there. They went with The Distant Thunder and a few other movies. And, and if you didn't catch those in the 70s, you know, actually, actually in the book, you had Hal Lindsey's Late Great Planet Earth. And then next decade or two, you had the Left Behind series, book series that became movies. And, and these are, 
don't get me wrong, I believe that they're, they're good things, things that God can use, but they can instill fear in us because, man, it's scary. It can be scary when you see this depicted on the screen, like how people are gone and then what happens with the Antichrist comes and all these things. God doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants us to live in preparation. He did not give us a spirit of fear. But in him there is love. And so many times when we look at holiness, we see something that's confining. But the reality is holiness is living in God-likeness. Now, we're holy. For those of us that have been born again, God looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Christ. So we are holy in God's eyes. But preparation, living holy, means that that holiness then is fleshed out in my life. Is that the manifestation of Christ in me becomes more and more like him in my living. Does that make sense? Is that, that he already sees me as holy, but yet growing in holiness is allowing him to transform me. I can't white, my, my, white knuckle my way into greater holiness. All I can do is surrender to him more, say, I get out of the way. Jesus, you do your work in me, and his holiness is living through me. The harder I try in my own strength, honestly, the more frustrated I'll get, but the more that I surrender to him, to his life, and to his power, and say, God, more of you and less, than, less of me, then holiness becomes our, our outliving. And that is what God desires. 1 John 3, let me just read this passage, the first three verses. In 1 John 2, he talks about what righteous living looks like and, and as we're followers of Christ, how we live. And then in chapter three, he begins with this. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. In that moment, when he appears, we're gonna be transformed into his image when we see him. We like him for we shall, shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. He's saying, when we have this hope of what we will be, we're gonna surrender to him. We're gonna allow him to transform us. We're gonna be made more, more holy in our living. And Jesus constantly called for preparation. If you read in, in Matthew uh, chapter 24 and 25 and some other places in the gospel, Jesus gave parables about being ready. I'm not gonna unpack all this, but one of those parables is the parable of the 10 virgins, virgins which is the, the beginning of John chapter 25, and they talked about 10 virgins that were, were waiting for the bridegroom to come, and five were wise and five were foolish. The difference was five were prepared. They all had their lamps, but the five that were wise had oil for their lamps. The five that were foolish did not. And the five that were foolish didn't get in. They weren't ready. The door was shut, and then there was no second chance. And Jesus says, be ready. Watch therefore, you know neither the day nor the hour, be ready. So we've looked at hope, we've looked at preparation, we're gonna look at peace. Again, in that same chapter of 2 Peter chapter three. So then dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, and again, just before that he's talking about the end times and what's going to happen, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, so we just talked about holy and pure, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Peter's calling us in this anticipation of what will happen to be at peace with God. Now peace with God isn't something that I can muster up or that I can create. 
Peace with God comes when I'm in right relationship, and we've talked about that, that, that it comes first of all by surrendering our lives to God and understanding that Christ's provision is the only thing that can, that can fill that gap. As you know, Ben shared with us on Friday night that the glory of God is so great and there's this gap, and only God can fill that gap. Only God can bring us to himself, bring the beauty of his life into our lives. But that's how we establish peace with God. Now, peace is not based on circumstances. Peace is something that's inside of us, whether it's a peaceful situation. We, we often seek peaceful places, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, his creation and being alone with him or with people, the people of peace, those are wonderful things, and we can often have peace inside because of our circumstances, because of our situations. But peace with God is there whether the situations are good or bad. And that's not an easy thing, right? Now, the way that God's formed me, I'm generally a person who carries peace. Now, yeah, I might dive into my history some other day, but like when I was a little kid, peace was not part of my life, I'm telling you. But somehow into my teens, like God started to work on me and I was in some really difficult circumstances, but I just had peace in the midst of very, very difficult circumstances. Very difficult. So peace has become just part of who I am, and I've often told people that for me, like the peace of God, this isn't of me, the peace of God, peace with God, and a peace that we carry and that we can share, generally comes pretty naturally. It's kind of a gift that, that God just gives me, and there's other times I've gotta fight for it. That it, it doesn't come naturally, that my peace can be disturbed. I can allow my thoughts to lead me to places that are not places of peace. I can take my eyes off the scripture and the promises of the word of God and I can miss the peace that is available. But God desires for each one of us to have peace with him and a peace with him that keeps us secure in every situation and a peace that we will carry until we are in the presence of the Prince of Peace. And that is what God has for each of us, that we would have his peace. We've referred to this scripture many times and we will continue in John 16, 33. I mean, the promise of Jesus is not for an easy life. Just before he goes to the cross, he tells his disciples, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. There is a peace that we need to have, not in fear of the return of Christ, but in anticipation of of, of the return of Christ and the reality of Christ living within us that we would have peace. And finally, we come to love. And the verse that I put here is from Ephesians chapter five. And and, uh, Paul talks in this chapter about uh, about us needing to submit to one another, all of us submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he moves into the second half of the chapter and he's talking about the relationship between husbands and wives. And he's saying that, that, that Christ has set the example for us Christ is the groom, the church is as the bridegroom. And we need to, as those that are, that are married as husbands and wives need to function in the reality and the beauty of the relationship of Christ to the church. But this verse, verse 32 says this, looking back on what's just been said, Paul says this, that, that this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And the reason I'm speaking this is about, about the, the love relationship between husband and wife, this mystery, the mystery that he's, he's looking at 
in regards to the husband and wife and Christ in the church. The mystery is truly this relationship, this love relationship between Christ and the church. And it is that very thing, it is a love relationship, an intimate connection beyond all connections, an intimate relationship beyond anything else in this life. And in light of the Lord's coming, it's all about this love relationship. God has poured out his love for us. He's loved us to the cross. He bore our sin. He's loved us as he's returned to heaven and and he loves us regardless of what we do against him. He loves us regardless of how much we ignore him. He loves us, he loves us, he loves us. So he is extending the invitation but will we respond in love? Now we've talked about this marriage relationship that, that, um, that we learned about in Galilee. And, and again, this is uh, from, the, the, um, from what we had learned through the return of how there was this betrothal, a promise to be married. But then there was this time where the bride and the groom would go away and they'd be preparing. They'd be getting ready for the wedding. They were committed to one another, but yet they were preparing for the wedding. And it's really helped me to see more clearly that that's where we are right now. We're getting ready for a wedding. And the bridegroom is gonna come. And and this was in the Galilean tradition. They didn't know when it was gonna happen. It was the father of the groom that said, now, son, go get her. It's time. And part of that process is that she was picked up. She was raptured, literally picked up and taken to that wedding. And this love, this love, it's a relationship, it's a longing, it's this desiring to be together. Jesus promised that he said, I'm gonna go away, and if I go, I'm gonna prepare a place for you, and and I'm gonna come again, I'm gonna receive you to myself, that where I am there, you may be also. The promise. And I really thought, you know, as I went through these fours, I went through hope and preparation and peace and love, I thought, man, love's kind of like, I don't wanna say the easy one, but like it just makes, it just fits so naturally. It's like quick hit and we'll, you know, wrap it up with love and go on and and like God just really, really dealt with me. He said, Mark, this is where you really need to grow. Because I've, I've shared this, some of you may have heard me share this before, but like I've struggled with this, like do I long for Christ's coming? Like do I really long and desire and with my heart say, Jesus, come today? And the reality is I've struggled with that. And part of it is that I've, I've said, well, but, but yet there's so many that don't know him. I, I wanna stay here longer. I want to have the opportunity. Jesus, delay your coming. In fact, in Second Peter chapter three, God says, you know, there are scoffers that say, where is he? And Peter tells us, well, God's patient. He's not, he's not desiring that any would perish, but all would come repentance. So I can embrace that and say, God, don't come yet. I wanna, I wanna be patient with you, okay? I want more to come, to come to you. And God just really convicted me. He said, Mark, but where's your greatest love? My wife and I got married in very short order. Our first date was a blind date on a Sunday afternoon, October 15th, 1989. 
three months to the day. Yeah, I remembered that. Yeah, okay, <laughs> I was like, that's pretty impressive. I know. <laughs> I'm a numbers guy. That was our first date. Three months to the day, I took her to the same place and proposed to her. Three months after our first date, blind date. Three and a half months after that, we were married. 31 years. I'm not recommending that process. It's, we just knew. It's just it's the way it worked for us, okay? But I wanted to be with her. I longed to be in this marriage relationship with her. And this is where I feel like God's really been speaking to me. Because he said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus is saying, I need to be your greatest love. I really need to be your greatest love. And for me, working for him can become a greater love than he himself. For me, doing the preparation and touching people's lives, I love that, it's so fulfilling and it is wonderful. It's part of what God has created us to be, but that's secondary. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, not love your neighbor as you love God. And God is calling me. It's like, Mark, you want this longing for my return? Draw close. Experience my love. Respond to my love in deeper and deeper ways. He's calling us to a greater love. Paul understood this. He said, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count all of them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So as I close, I'd like us to look at key four of the treasure principle. We taught on this and God's used this powerfully in this body and uh, for those that may not be familiar with it or you like a reminder, as you leave on the left there's a large banner of the treasure principle and you can take copies of it, but key four says this. We should live today not for the dot, but for the line. We should live today not for the dot, but for the line. And on Christmas Eve, my son and brother-in-law and I were talking and about eternity and the coming of Christ and my brother-in-law led me to this video of Francis Chance, so this is not obviously original to me. But he took a rope and it was a long rope. We have a long rope here. And he had a piece of tape on it. And I've put on that piece of tape, I put a dot. So let this rope represent our entire life, our entire existence. We are eternal beings, we're living forever. So if you follow this rope, it keeps going and going and going. It goes over to there, but I want you, this does, it's an incomplete illustration because if the rope was longer and wrapped around the world, it'd be about 25,000 miles long and it'd still be a small representation of reality. Because eternity is forever, we're living forever. Every one of us are, are living forever. But this dot is the part that we live here. Some of you may be able, may be able to see it, this dot is the part that we live here. And what we do in this dot is what determines what happens for the rest of our existence. If this dot does not include, is not centered in coming to Jesus Christ, accepting him as Lord and Savior and walking with him, this rest of existence is in a hell, literally, eternal damnation. 
for those of us that have been enlightened by the, by the gift of faith and have accepted the gift of God. This dot has brought us into relationship with God and as he comes and receives us, we live with him forever. But am I living in the reality of the rope, of the line? God wants this dot to be the best dot it can possibly be. And the only way for that to be the best dot it can possibly be is by giving every moment, every energy, every desire to him. And in that, this dot is gonna be amazing. What happens in this dot is absolutely incredible and that then flows through all of our eternity. And either the rapture of the church or death will lead us into the rest. So will we live, will we live not focused on the dot, but on the line? Will we live in light of eternity? Will we live in light of the coming of Christ? I hope this doesn't feel heavy. I hope it feels serious, because it is. But I hope it doesn't feel heavy because God is calling us to an abundant life to freedom. As we step into what he has prepared and desired for us, we find a freedom in life beyond what we can comprehend. We find a love relationship with him that's greater than anything we've experienced with him before and keeps growing and growing and growing. So I'm gonna end with just these couple questions. What if we live ready for Christ's return and we never see it? Because that's one of the frustrations. People have been expecting this for 2,000 years and it hasn't happened yet. And I again say we've never been closer. But what if we live with this expectation of his return and we never see it? What have we lost? Nothing, in fact, we've gained a lot. We've gained a fullness in life that we can only have that way. But what if we live neglecting the reality of his soon return? What have we lost? possibly everything. So I'm just gonna ask you, are you ready for his return? Are you living with anticipation, with hope of his return, are you preparing for his return? Do you have that peace with him that we need to carry until he comes back? Are you committed to a growing love relationship with him more than anything else in life? I just wanna invite us all to live for eternity. To live in expectation of his return and to find this life that he desires for each one of us. God, thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. Thank you, Lord, that this isn't something holding, that you're holding over us, but you're inviting us into an eternal life in your presence. Thank you, God, that you have made the way through Christ. Lord, just help us to live ready, help us to live expectantly, help us to live growing more and more in our hope, in our preparation, our peace, and our love for you. God, we just turn again our eyes to you and we love you and we desire to love you more. We thank you, Lord, for the blessed hope that we have in you, in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a closing song, just fixing our eyes on him. I just wanna encourage you to stand, sit, kneel, whatever you would like to do, engage with God and respond to him right now.
We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.